Welcome to the family with L.A. Nick and Andy Brambernard. We'll be right back. Kick things off. David Ignatius. The book is called The Paladin, a spy novel. We'll be right back with the family. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer is rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Oh, we're back talking about how much dough there is in Good. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. David's with us uh, coming up in about 10 minutes, right? Yes. A name sounds right. true. His name sounds familiar. I don't know why. He wrote The Paladin, a spy novel. Paladin, Paladin. I'm, I'm not a reader, so I know go. I didn't get it from reading. Prize-winning <laughs> prize columnist from the Washington Post, been covering the Middle East for nearly four decades. I don't have any time to sit down and read a book. No? <laughs> kidding me? Not even four decades ago? No, I was doing too many drugs then, so... Oh. Well, that's nice. <laughs> Eyes couldn't focus? That's really well, not, nice. Not four decades. Four decades. I was a young kid. Yeah. All right, so... I, 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 nah, I don't so, know what so to much tell you. to say. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And nobody wants to say anything. I know, but we got to talk about the fact that a guy... I don't understand why that cop wouldn't take his knee can, off can that I, guy's can, neck. Can I, Could can, I finish, for Christ's yeah, sake? But, I put up with it all morning. <laughs> now you're doing it. You can't, you can't finish. But I, just get, I work with lame I want to just get the chance to say, say something after you're finished. No, it's too late. Because you'll say no, we're out of time. It's too late now. You'll say we're out of time. And <laughs> I won't Everyone say out. It. Sorry, you're out, we're out of time. Anyway, what were you going to say? Well... This this is a horrible thing. It's horrible that it happened. Yes. It's horrible, and, and it should. It, there's no excuses, zero, and it should never happen. I'm not condoning any violence by the police department. Or anything. It should never happen. Mm-hmm. But people have to think about this. You had before now Jacob Fry. You had Betsy Hodges. So that's four. So that's seven years of the police being told to stand down. That's correct. Seven years of being abused, people spitting in your face. People. So just imagine, it's the same as if you owned a dog, 
and that dog was abused and it eventually bit someone. Yeah, the dog is was put down and the owner's responsible. The, these these I think that these cops are at the been pushed to the point of snapping. I do. Could be. I think that, that they are. I mean, there's no way this guy just flat out murdered someone and, and I mean he did. He flat out murdered the guy. I watched it. No, he did he murder him. Absolutely. But he had it, it, it no one in, ra- in their rational mind would do that. I they're, know. They're pushed to the point of of this. And I think there's some psychological deep thing that you could find that all these cops. I mean, my friend was a cop committed suicide over being a cop because yeah. he can't do anything to anyone. You can't just, you're not even allowed to arrest them. Yeah. So I think that you're going to see more of this because they've tried to fix it in the wrong way by stripping cops of all their powers. They should have just trained them better and gave them some powers. I couldn't agree more. So I think that's a factor. I'm not saying that condones it. I'm saying it's a factor that you have to think of. No, no, it doesn't condone it because here's the problem that I have with it. Not one of the four cops said, what, stop doing that. What are you doing? I, unbelievable. Man. I don't understand how all three of the other ones stood there and I, let him uh, do it. There was more in the background. More what? Cops. Even more than four? Well, there was four initially, but you could see other cops in the, across oh, the street. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. In the video. Uh, it's just pretty sad that no one said. And even the paramedics who came didn't. They checked his pulse. They didn't say, get off him. Really? No, you, got, you watched the guy come up and check his pulse. And he doesn't say, hey, let off his neck. See, I haven't watched it yet. I can't watch it because no, I, I don't it's, like it's, people. It's, yeah. and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm be the first one to say I, I'm usually on the cop's side. I watched this one and said, that's just flat out murder, man. Yeah. Flat out, he killed him. I don't think it's a good idea for Jacob Fry to come out and say, a man should not be killed because he was born black in America. Yeah, that was... Like, how does oh, that help? He thinks he's Martin, Martin Luther King. Oh, my God. How does that help in any way, shape, well, or Jacob form? Well, Jacob Fry thinks he's, you know... He thinks he's president. He's Bubba, <laughs> Bubba Shrimp or something, isn't he? No, he thinks he's Martin Luther King or... Oh, next, God. Ma- yeah, okay. Next, next Barack Obama. He's a coward, just like the other guy. Well, he's a, he's a fake, is what he is. Yeah, well, that's true. He, he practices his speech patterns. I've he does? Him, yeah. <clears throat> i got to start doing that. Let, ask not what he time practices. it is. He watches Obama tapes and practices. He really does. Oh, God. It's so sad. He wants to sound like Obama? Yeah. The most stilted delivery in history? Yeah. I went downstairs just the other day. He does. I mean, you could tell it's fake. He, and, and you watch watch. Watch him. Watch Fry. Oh he does God. the same thing. Mm. He practices. I'm a I'm a little owly about the federal government right now because I watched a do, a, a documentary yesterday about the Federal Reserve. They have been effing us for about 225. People years. have no idea how bad we get screwed. Oh my God! They've been screwing us since day one. It's bad. Since the end of the Revolutionary War, they have been screwing the people of America out of money. It's unbelievable. Now Minneapolis is going to have to raise taxes even more because who's going to pay for all this? Well, I told you. They don't have police insurance in Minneapolis. They don't have police insurance? No. Why not? They don't insure the police in Minneapolis. Oh, God. Taxpayers pay the lawsuits. We're one of of the few cities that don't (laughs) don't insure the police. Isn't that amazing? We don't insure our police. I don't understand it. It all comes out of taxpayers' money if they get sued. And they're going to get this one's going to be a big one. Well, I oh, this one's going to be huge, yeah, because that is, like I said, you called it murder, and I'm leaning that way. Oh, it's, it's murder. 
I don't understand why you did it. Why, when the guy stopped talking, why wouldn't you take your I knee off his neck? I think these cops are not in their in, in a healthy medic uh, uh, mental, mental state, state anymore. Yeah, maybe. I think they're not. I think they've been pushed past it, like a war guy over in, you know, in a war. So basically, what you're saying, they've been pushed past it, and the politicians keep telling everybody, "You're you're a victim. You're being preyed upon." So all we all we have is people orchestrating all of this, aren't we? A hundred percent. It's all orchestrated. A hundred percent. I mean, that poor man lost his life because of political bullshit. No, 100%. And started with Betsy oh, Hodges, God. and Jacob Fry carried the stand-down yeah. order. People can spit in your face, and you can't do anything. And this is where we're at, and this is where we're at now. See, if somebody, if I were a cop and somebody spit in my face, I'd look at my partner and go, I guess I'm not a cop anymore. And you know, people, people can say that that guy's never been in trouble in his life, never been arrested, never did anything wrong, and he's dead over a $20 bad check. I know. A $20 bad check. That's was it his check? Over. No, it wasn't. It was a forged check. But no, it, but I mean, he was the one who tried to try to saw, pass off a forged well, check. Well, I've been told he yeah he signed someone else's check. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it still, is, I mean, it, well, no, you don't kill that, him that's, over that's, that. That's, that's I mean, not even an arrestable offense. <clears throat> yes, it is. No, you can't forge a check. In Minneapolis, it's not an arrestable offense. Oh Jesus! Is anything over, against the it has law? Has to be over three thousand dollars, I believe. Oh, God, it's just. That's just a ticketable offense. I grew up in Minneapolis. I love Minneapolis. I just, what are they doing to my, my birthplace? No, a forged check is not a ticketable offense. Under, unbelievable. Under, I think it's under three. I think it's 3000 It's unbelievable what no. we've done. Just go ahead and do whatever you want. Go ahead. Well, it's, pretty, it's hard to get arrested in the city of Minneapolis. It's easy to get a ticket, but it's hard to get arrested. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that's true. But Officer we're... Dave says spitting on a cop is a felony. Yeah, but nobody, they don't do anything in the city of Minneapolis. Of course they don't. Maybe in his precinct, because he works in a suburb. Minneapolis police have been told to stand down for yeah. spitting or people throwing anything at them. They don't arrest anyone. But this pisses me off, because now the next time he comes in, I can't even spit on Officer Dave. What the <laughs> hell is that? You wouldn't want to be a felon. Bring him downtown, and you spit on him. I also yeah, really. wouldn't want to try to outrun him. That's the other part of it I'd have no interest in. <clears throat> I, I don't know. It's it just the whole thing. As everybody knows, I love cops. I've always loved cops, all the rest of it. This thing, I didn't know about it last night until JB sent me a text message that said, I know how you feel about cops and stuff, but, man, you be cool tomorrow. And I'm like, I called him. I said, what are you talking about? No, that, they, that, that, the dude who put his knee in his neck, he murdered that guy. Sure looked like and it. And everyone else watched him do it. I have not watched the video, but just the, the short little bit that no, I was I watched, I watched the fresh one. They Now it's all cut and edited. And yep. I watched the original one right when it got posted. Uh, it, it's not pretty. No. Watching somebody die. It's is not, not pretty at all. It is absolutely true. So we'll keep on top of that story. But I just, once again, I, I did it on the morning show, and I'll do it on this show. I implore people: do not get violent over this, well, because if violence too late. starts too late, man, there was a lot of gunfire last night in, was there? in Chicago on thirtieth, and Jeez. a lot of a lot of things burned and a lot of things it did? smashed. Oh yeah, they didn't report that in the Star Tribune this morning. Of course they not. Didn't. How do you not report fires in the Star Tribune? Well, fires. What about the? I seen little kids running from gunfire. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. There's lots of videos. Oh, yeah, on they Facebook. had to deploy. They, they had to deploy tear gas. To, oh, they they shot rubber bullets. The tear gas. And that's another thing. Now you have the police retaliating 
on these crowds. They shot lots of rubber bullets last night and lots of tear gas. Lots. They showed people dumping gallons of milk over their heads because they oh, had yeah. so much tear gas in their face. So now you have the cops attacking citizens. This ain't, it's not good. No, it is not good. Well, did the citizens attack them first, or did they just fire in the crowd willy-nilly? No, well, I think they turned over a couple of police cars, and they were attacking the 3rd Precinct. Yeah, you can't do that. we got to keep cool because, like I said, we get back to 1967 when I watched Plymouth Avenue burn. I don't want to watch that again. I, I think, just, I think no it might happen. It sure yeah, seems like it. Might need to. We might need to have the phoenix rise from the ashes at this point. This one's point. different. This one's different it than is the different. rest of the ones that have, that have happened. And listen, we've had a lot of them in the city of Minneapolis in the last five years. Yeah. Too many. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. Special guest coming up next with the family. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? <laughs> Real nice. Chuck Nabla. <laughs> Chuck Nabla. <laughs> 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself, and with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. Oh, did David ask for this song, Andy? Uh, oh, he's talking to David right now. I was now. never a big fan of this song. <clears throat> if you go no, chasing I was rabbits. About you, I was thinking about you the other day. Because I know you're not a big uh, Alex, I mean, uh, Axl Rose fan. No, I am not. I know. And, I, and I, I want you to watch. I'm going to send you a link mm-hmm. to 1987, Guns N' Roses Live at the Whiskey. And I want you to watch that show. Okay. I could do and that. And then come back to me and t- tell me what you think about Axl Rose. You'll I, never see somebody more passionate. Well, that's and, fine. And, and he doesn't do that thing you're talking that you hate. Oh, that, that thing? Where... He doesn't do that. What you doing in the town, baby? He doesn't, he doesn't, oh, he doesn't God, do that. But you, that so you have much. to watch that show. That right, show was what made him famous. I'll get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, the book's called The Paladin, a Spy Novel, David Ignatius. Why do you get such a cool name, David? <laughs> well, Axel Rose was already taken, so they gave me David Ignatius. Yeah, I get a lot of heat because I've been involved in radio and uh, worked at Capitol Records for about six years in between. 50, 50 years in the radio and record business. 
And there are certain acts I just I can't I can't listen to them. I just can't do it. Uh, well, it's funny because the number the number of second number two bands your station plays is ACDC and Guns N' Roses. Oh, I know. There's no doubt about it. Exactly. <laughs> so, David, where'd you grow up? So I grew up mostly in D.C. Uh, you know, my music biography back in D.C. when I was a kid there was something called the Howard Theater, which was yeah. like the Apollo in New York. Yeah. Yep. And I probably went to see James Brown three times. Oh, I love James Brown. I, when I, for my high school newspaper, dressed up in my little blazer and tie, I interviewed Melvin, the bass man of The Temptations. Oh, and love him. Uh, it was awesome. And then we went back to his hotel room and, you know, smoke wafting out of the room. <laughs> beautiful women and players sure. up in that. He t- turns his little kid in his blazer and says, I think it's time for this interview to be over. Oh. Well, that was, anyway, that's my music, uh, my music journalism bio. Okay, before we move on, my favorite thing about James Brown, because I love James Brown from day one, but I will never forget the first time I ever heard him do this. Can't pass the people, can't pass the hood, man. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I had an affair with his wife. You did? Yeah. I didn't know that. Tommy Ray. His Tommy last wife. Ray. I didn't know when that. We would go to these shows. If I could just throw in a James Brown moment, uh, he would, you know, on saying, please, 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 he would throw his cufflinks into the audience. Ooh. And it would be this mad scramble to try to. Catch James Brown's couplings, never caught him. Sure tried. It's not fair. It's all I have to say, David. It's not fair. I have been struggling to make up for that ever since. I understand. David Ignatius with us, ladies and gentlemen, the Paladin, a spy novel. CIA, uh, CIA operations officer Michael Dunn is tasked with infiltrating an Italian news organization, L.A. Nick. <laughs> Another Italian well, causing all, trouble. Definitely crooked. <laughs> <laughs> that smells like a front for an uh, enemy intelligence service. Well, I just want to turn it over to you, David. I want to hear all about your book from you. Well, so uh, it's about Michael Dunn. He's a sea officer. He grew up in uh, in uh, Keysport, Pennsylvania, beaten up steel town. Carries a lot of the burden of uh, what happened to that part of the world on his shoulders. And he's decided to penetrate this news organization, in quotes, uh, that this may be illegal, but he does it anyway. Uh, this news organization is coming up with not just fake news, but fake events. They've learned how to use computers to create the sound and images of what look like real events, but are made up. And that's why the agency wants to know about them. Anyway, he gets hung out to dry. He is sent to prison. He loses his wife. He loses his family. He loses everything. And so the book's really a story of how he tries, after he gets out of prison, to understand what was done to him and then take him down. We love it. Like I should tell you, David, up front, that back in the day from the very uh, first book, uh, Vince Flynn and I were very, very good friends, as a matter of fact, and I miss him dearly. So I'm right in your wheelhouse as far as, far as your reading audience is concerned. I, I just I love this stuff. Absolutely love it. Well, thanks, man. No, no question about it. I mean, do you remember who inspired you to, to get into writing books and writing, you know, particularly this kind of book? So I'll be honest. You know, I, I, uh, I was a correspondent uh, covering the Middle East. I was in Beirut um, in the early 1980s, and I wrote a story for the Wall Street Journal where I worked 
about how the CIA has recruited Arafat, Yasser Arafat, then terrorist numero uno, and recruited his chief of intelligence as an American asset. And then uh, that guy goes was killed, and then the officer, real American hero, run that operation, was killed when the American embassy was blown up. I was in the embassy about a half hour before the bomb went off, seeing somebody else. Oh, man. And then, so I published the story of that, but, but then all, all these people who've been part of this operation, uh, shattered by the loss of these uh, American intel officers, began pouring their hearts out. So I had all this information, and I thought, that, you know, the only way I can use it is, is in a novel. So I just, that's how I became a novelist. It was... You know, a story that I couldn't figure out any other way to write. And uh, it's like 11 books ago. That wow. was 11 books ago. That's not bad, David. You might have you might have some talent at writing. You never know, right? Uh, I don't know, but it, it, it's been... I, you know, I, I've had a, this is my second career. I was too chicken to, to quit my day job at the Washington Post and uh, where I ended up working and, and be, be a full-time novelist. But I, I kept writing the books. Never made a choice between the one or the other, and you know. So now I'm glad I glad I did both. Yeah, it's pretty good. You're glad both. to do both. Plus the fact you can just call your boss at the Washington Post and say, "Hey, would you tell Amazon to send me my book?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I I hope I'm making some money for Mr. Bezos so he can plug it back into uh, <laughs> into my newspaper. Do you think a uh, trillion dollars is enough for one man, David? Well, you know, um, I think so. I, I just have to say, I, this is, you know, I would say this, but um, as an owner for the Washington Post, when the, when the Graham family, which I went to work for, mm-hmm. sold the paper, I, you know, I cried like a baby today. I just thought, oh, my God, what's going to happen to us? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Jeff Bezos has been a great owner. He gave us, we needed money. We were just going broke. Sure. We just, like most newspapers, we were just on our, on our butts. He gave us money, he gave us confidence, and he basically stayed out of things. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't get involved. I think, why would anybody buy a newspaper if they didn't want to, you know, use it as a platform? He doesn't. So, uh, you know, I mean, he, he sure has been good for us. Good. I mean, see, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, losing newspapers completely would be very, very odd. It's already odd enough that, I mean, back when I was a kid, walked through the neighborhood, everybody had the Sunday paper on their stoop every Sunday morning. I and think you it is inevitable, though. Yeah, I suppose. Kids don't want to read a newspaper, and kids yeah, are the I future. Well, they're on digital, though. I mean, you've got a huge digital presence with the Washington Post anyway, right, there. Yeah, we so, do. Yeah, I mean, it, so that's cool. Um, so when did you, okay, you decided uh, at what age, I want to be a writer, whether it's newspapers, books, whatever. When, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Like, probably 13. No, I, that was all I ever really wanted to do. Really? Uh, I went through a phase where I thought, you know, gosh, maybe I could be an economist when I studied economics in graduate school. But that was just a good At 13? <laughs> no, later. I was going to say, at 13, you're thinking about being an economist? I like it, man. Hey, David's a smart guy. He could have done it. I could have done it. But uh, anyway, I, it's basically the, the, the thing I wanted to do from the beginning. I had these other excursions. And, you know, I'm just lucky to... I had so few friends who started in the business the same, same time I did who were able to stay in it. I mean, yeah. it's like watching every tree in the forest around you fall down. So, uh, 
you know, I, I, I love it. It drives me nuts when I hear a certain person call uh, journalism the enemy of the people. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I wonder who that would be, David. Well, yeah, it's well, a lot of people now. He lives near me here in Washington. Anyway, I, uh, <laughs> it's not a political show. We're not going to not going to do that but uh that's cool you know i'm i'm glad i'm still uh just celebrated my 70th birthday yesterday happy birthday david i'm still doing it thanks you don't sound sound 70 no he doesn't no not at all sound like you're in your 40s you know david the thing about that is is i do a morning show as well and when we do talk about politics i tend to be pretty much a centrist you know so i don't like anybody that's kind of what cent- being a centrist now means you don't like either guy. So you know, you know. One way, how, how much time do you have? Another another few minutes? Could we go to a very quick yeah. break? And come? I'd love to keep talking, to David. If you can stay, yeah, you bet. Okay, we'll take a sure. very quick break. Be right back with David Ignatius, the Paladin, a spy novel. Right back with David. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. Do, 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 do. Me oh, and Bobby McGee. That's there. there Got a very, goes. very soft I just opening. Have to crank it up. Me and Bobby McGee. Shouldn't it be Bobby McGee and Bobby McGee and I? Bobby McGee and I. David, what do you think? What, Correct English or not? It should be. It depends on whether it's the subject or object defense. That's true. I or me. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, you're absolutely right. One of the biggest pet peeves I have is when people say, like, Jim and I went to the gross... Wait, that would be correct, wouldn't it? No, <laughs> you mean, like... The, the, uh, the home delivery came to Jim and me, but Jim and I went to the grocery. Yeah, but if there people say go. the home delivery went to Jim and I, thinking that that sounds more correct, that's what bothers me. What I don't understand people have been saying... I heard somebody say the other day, it's online, but they don't mean online like the computer online. Oh, you mean like it's in line, they mean, but they say online? Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, that's because they mean in line. Well, why they say, everyone's saying Because they're idiots, that's why. <laughs> David, don't you agree that pretty much 70% of people are morons? Oh, I think it's higher than that. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, I have percentages, I, um, I, I am amazed every time I go online and look at some of the crazy things people are saying. Oh, God, uh, David, you're right. I just, I think, whoa. Um, you know, face-to-face, most people seem, they don't seem crazy. But there's something that happens when people go online that they turn completely bonkers. I don't know why. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> You're absolutely right. So did, did you grow up in, in D.C.? I did. Uh, my dad came to work for President Kennedy in 1961. Wow, that's uh, kind of cool. My dad's now 99 years old. Wow, God bless him. God, you were... So, 
you know, God bless him. Uh, he, came, he came to work for President Kennedy, and he stayed uh, working in the Pentagon until 1969, and he never he never left. So we stayed here as a, as a family. I moved overseas a bunch as a journalist, um, and kept, but kept coming back. I met my wife in Pittsburgh. Uh, one of my first job was covering a steelworkers union in Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, uh, and I was back in the '70s. So uh, we raised we raised three daughters here, and you know, life in D.C. Uh, you know, God's problem. Uh, you know, especially downtown around Pennsylvania Avenue. But uh, <laughs> it's fine. You ever been by sixteen hundred? I think is the address. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's, yeah. I spent a lot of time in D.C. and Baltimore as a kid. It's got its good points, but it's got some rough neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. Eighth and I, baby. I went down to watch the U.S. Uh, silent drill team. Nobody told me that no taxis would go to Eighth and I after dark. <laughs> uh-uh. Nobody bothered to tell me. They had some great rock and roll bars, though. D.C. Yeah, and Baltimore. Uh, it's a great town. I love Washington, yeah, it D.C. It is a great town. Great, oh, great town. So, David, down right now. David, I'm uh, about two years younger than you. And I, I, nice Catholic boy, grew up uh, going to Catholic school. And I do remember when, when President Kennedy was elected. So, 61, I would have been nine years old. Okay. I'm nine years old. And this guy, this full grown man, he goes, You're a Catholic, aren't you? And I said, Yes, sir. He goes, Hey, you don't mind a little language, do you, David? No, sir. Go okay, ahead. Good. Oh, good. He says to a nine year old kid, You're Catholic, huh? I said, Yeah, I'm Catholic. He goes, yeah, I love you people. I said, what do you mean, you people? He goes, yeah, we're going to have the Pope running the fucking country now because of Kennedy. <laughs> I'm like, what? I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. I'm like, what is he talking about? I will never forget that as long as I yeah, live. Yeah, they didn't want a Catholic being president. Oh, they did not want a Catholic president. <laughs> I don't think it would ever happen again either. Yeah, it hasn't been one since. Yeah, maybe not. I don't as know. As I said before, there'll never be an Italian and never be a Jewish president. God, I don't know where the talk... Talk, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, David, but we got to talk about your book. I mean, there are lots of things I want to talk to you about. I, I just, boy, looking at the history of the United States, growing up in Washington, D.C., man, you must, yeah. oh, God, the things that... You know, talking about, about President Kennedy, I'm remembering sitting on my father's shoulders, and then, what, 12 or 13, as the Kennedy's bodies carried oh, the Arlington yeah. Cemetery. yeah. Uh, that terrible weekend. You remember watching that? You and I are old enough to remember. Yes, sir. Watching that on TV. Anyway, uh, you know, life, life, uh, life goes on. I, 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 I uh, never really left the orbit of Washington when I was growing up in D.C. Uh, in our neighborhood, if you threw a rock in any direction, you were likely to hit a CIA officer's house. Uh oh. So I began to think these guys run everything. And I think that's probably when I first got interested in the, what's been the subject now, these 11 novels. You know that Minnesota is one of the top places that they take, they grab people to be in the CIA. I didn't know that. Yep. Hmm. I wonder why. I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It's one of the top places that they recruit kids. Minnesota, not so nice. Minnesota, sneaky. Yeah, yeah they, you got they that They recruit right. kids from Minnesota, a lot of them. I guess because they have a such a... a, a a look that you can't really tell. It's just a it fit in easy. Oh, you know, unless you're talking about the Scandinavians. We're just generic are, people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the German Scandinavians are pretty big people, though. They're, I mean, but we it, got, it is it is a top place. I know multiple I know kids that. that got recruited right out of high school. 
I did not know that. Yeah. So where is Michael Dunn based on anybody? Is Michael Dunn kind of you, David, only a CIA guy? So, no, not really. I mean, Michael, if, if you uh, guys read the Hillbilly Elegy uh, by J.D. Vance, mm-hmm. about a, a guy who grows up in one of these beat-up Rust Belt towns, that's where Michael Dunn's from. He's from McKeesport, Pennsylvania, in the book. Oh, okay. uh, as I mentioned, I got my start uh, in Pittsburgh covering the steelworkers, so I, I was back in the 70s. I watched the steel industry just get taken down, and so the feelings of people who just watch their towns empty out, uh, you know, I, I've, I've reported that. So that, that's who that character is. not really me, but, you know, every book, every character in the book has a lot of Where's the where's the stuff going to come from? It's up to your own head. So sure, it's me. It's it's the version of me that would have been born in the Keysport. <laughs> okay, well that that makes total sense. No, I I think people are fat. The reason I ask you that question because I'm fascinated by it, and I think most people are. Where where does Mitch Rap come from? Where does Michael Dunn come from? Is that you, just a bigger version of you? Because don't you think, David, that pretty much ninety nine point nine percent of people on Earth would love to write a book? I think so. I mean, people people love to read them, and I think yeah. you know the, the act of reading is a, that whole story comes alive in your imagination. So you think I could do that too. We all dream and. Dreaming is soft, the closest thing I know to, to writing fiction. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, ev- every character expresses something of what the author is thinking about, and it's it's complicated because you try to put your, put yourself in in you know in, in you have to write women characters, you have to write you know characters from all over the world. How, how, how do you know what they really think, and how do you get that right? And for me, the answer, I'm a journalist, so I just do the research. I spend a lot of time um, interviewing people, kind of listening to how they talk, you know, checking out, asking them what they listen to on their playlist, so I'll get stuff like that right. Uh, you know, you just have to do the research. And I think novels that are just, you know, totally formulaic, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Those don't really don't interest me too much. I like the ones where people really researched and gotten into it. What I love is description. You, you guys, you people, men and women, fascinate me with, with description. And, I, and, of course, the famous Minnesotan F. Scott Fitzgerald, he used description as well or better than anybody else. I mean, you, about a breeze bl- blowing through a window, man, you just saw it in your, in your head exactly what he was talking about. You guys are really good at that. Well, F. Scott Fitzgerald... Was, was unique uh, in American literature, probably. But, you know, I think, um, you know, we all have this moment where we're trying to use language to describe what we're seeing and feeling. And I, I found that the things that are powerful are the ones you don't think about. They just fall into your head. It's like playing a sport. You know, it's like the, when he, when he, you know, spoof right through the basket. You're not thinking about it. That's, you know, the shots you think about are the ones you miss. And writing's the same way. You know what I found too, David. It's pretty, pretty cool actually. I've gotten to meet a lot of authors over the years, and you know, run into them here, there, befriended some of them. Um, writers, you guys and women are really, really, in general, nice people. Why do you think that is? Because we're poor. 
Okay, well, that just... Uh, you know, <laughs> you writers, maybe you... You know, I, my audience is... Uh, God bless them, but they're, they're limited. If, you know what, the... Um, maybe, so I'll say one thing. Maybe uh, writers are people who listen. Yeah. And uh, they do their talk in their books, but in my experience, writers... Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be the blabbermouth at the party. They're going to be the, you know, listening carefully. and So I, I think that maybe makes them sometimes less pushy than other people. Yeah, possibly. I just told but them there are a lot of nasty writers, too, let's be honest. Luckily, I've never met any of them. I have never. Uh, uh, I remember you telling me a story about uh, uh-huh. Stephen King. Somebody? Oh, see, yeah, Stephen King can be a real prick. That's true. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. yeah, he can be a real pain in the ass. But... David, I've pretty much interviewed every author. I've been in this business for 50 years now, uh, I, you know, since I was 18 years old. But one of my favorite, very quick 30-second stories, it, I'm down in West Palm, Florida, a few years ago, and I go to play golf at Breakers Reese Jones Golf Course, having a really good, going to have a good time. And they said, well, we'll pair you up with another guy. here." It was, so I walk out to the first tee, and a guy, not a very big guy, um, shakes my hand, he goes, I am Jim. I say, Jim, how you doing? I play 18 holes of golf with this guy. Both of us played like dog crap. We were both terrible the whole time. And at the end, he goes, hey, Tom, that was really great. Uh, I hope we can play again sometime. I said, okay, Jim, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And he leaves, and the pro comes up to me and goes, you know who that was, don't you? I said, yeah, Jim. He goes, that was James Patterson. And he never, he never mentioned a word of it, never said anything about it. Good. He's the nicest guy in the damn world, David. You guys are nice wow. people. You really are nice people. Well, that's uh, that's a lovely story, uh, you know. And and the nice thing about it is he never bragged on himself. He didn't need nope. you to know that he was James Patterson. Nope. He was just trying to have a good day. We have thirty seconds, so I will close with my film. What got me hooked on? I read voraciously, David. I yeah. love reading. I I love holding a book too. I'm not. I'm not a, uh, a, Kindle. a Kindle guy or any of that stuff. I love to hold on to a hardcover book. And what hooked me is, as about a 10-year-old, I think it was, 10 or 11 years old, I read Catcher in the Rye, and the line that caught me was, it's colder than a witch's tit. <laughs> well, never, of course, at 11 years old. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And hooked me on reading forever. So you can thank J.D. Is that the Salinger. first time that, that's ever been said? The first time I ever saw it. I I've wonder if it's the first time it's ever been said. I wonder. Possibility. David, you are the best. You need to come out. Uh, I'd like to book you on the morning show. Is that all right if we reach out to, uh, out yeah. to you? Yeah. With, 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 uh, with, with pleasure. It's really, it's really fun talking to you guys. Tom, thank you so much. You've been doing this uh, as long as I've been doing my thing, and we both still enjoy it, so we're lucky. We'll get you booked. It's a KQRS morning show in Minneapolis. I will get you booked. I love talking to you. Thank you, David. Okay. Have a great See day, sir.